It's just one nice tie his grandmother bought him. So <laughs> feeling pretty good about that. I just I have to confess to you that I'm really proud right now, uh, not because of anything uh, that I've done. God knows that I don't have anything to be proud of. But the young people that are up here, a lot of youth ministry in a lot of places does have bands and choirs and all kinds of things. And I've seen that. I've been around those things. But I want to tell you what, when we started this band, we said, because there's tons of kids that want to play in this band. And we said that if your life isn't exemplifying Jesus Christ, that you're not a leader on your campus, and you're not leading young people to Christ and discipling young people on your high school campus, which is where all these kids started when, uh, when we started, then we don't want you to do this. And it took a lot of hard work on John Dirk's effort to take a bunch of people who, who couldn't play together to really begin to play. And every single one of these people, Chun, who's playing bass right here, Chun's a new Christian. He's been a Christian about a year. He was led to Christ by David Lee, who also plays in the band. Uh, every kid, uh, Ruth, who was seen in the front, goes to Hamilton Performing Arts School. She gets up at 4.30 in the morning to spend time with the Lord because she's bussed into an inner city school. And that's what it takes to be effective in her school. Amy was at uh, Canyon High School last year and led girls to Christ. Chris Steyer has seen God use them to lead kids to Christ at Kennedy. Jamie Lay, the same thing. I mean, we could say everyone, who did I forget? Okay, so somebody's offended. Kyle, Kyle, he just plays guitar and he's lame. No, no. <laughs> I was sitting there doing that first time going, okay, get through that solo. Please hurry up. Don't play too long. Okay, but... Um, he loves the Lord Jesus and, uh, and God's really using him. We don't, the music isn't the issue. Some people want to make music the issue. And, and it really hurts me that people want to argue style or format or things like that because that isn't the issue. It just happens to be a tool like sports ministry. We don't have too many problems with that. That God allows us to have ministry to young people. And we have lots of ministry. The last time I was out here, uh, I was glad that Kurt introduced me because I'm, I think it's been a while before I introduce anybody uh, out here for a while. Think about it now, okay? It'll come to you. Um, but we watched God bless and uh, we're following up over 100 young people right now um, who came to Christ. We're watching God do a great thing. Well, we're watching God do a great thing because... People are committed to Jesus Christ. They're committed to His Word. It's not, it's not mirrors. It's not hoops. It's not dog and pony. It's not music. It's not anything. It's people who love Christ. And those people can change the world. Amen? We can change the world to the extent that we love Christ and we exemplify His Word. There's a group of men that are here, that have been here this week. You need to know these men. Okay? We need to introduce these men to you. We're, guys that were here for the Youth Pastors Conference, go ahead and stand up. Okay? Wherever you are. All right? And then, wait, 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 because we weren't going to get a wholehearted thing here. There's somebody doing homework over here and stuff, so we want everybody, okay, put your homework down. Okay, how many of you are studying right now? Okay, no, I'm just, just kidding. Oh, oh, I'm in. I'm doing it. These men represent uh, hundreds and thousands of lives. Uh, they're committed to work with young people. I don't think there's a harder job in the church than working with young people. And these men are committed to it. They're from all over different parts of California and Nevada. Uh, there were a group of about, what, 15 or 20 guys that were here. These guys stayed. The rest of them said, Crestfield speaking, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't need to hear that. But these guys are, are uh, doing God's work with young people, which is important. And, and we want to welcome them, don't we? If you want to welcome them.
That's a good-looking bunch of guys, isn't it? Not a bald guy in the bunch there, all right? It's hard to work with youth and, and be bald. I don't know. It's just, it, just, it, doesn't, it just doesn't fly. It, it's intimidating always for me to come here because you guys get the best of the best. There's no question about that. And sometimes in my heart I'm saying, God, I want to have a message from you. I want to speak with clarity and with power. But then there's that side where you're feeling like, oh, do, do they have the rating cards out? You know? I was a pretty good story. I'll give that a 9.3. I started to cry. I was pretty good. And it can be intimidating to be here. And I, and I rejoice that God uses me in spite of me. Because what's the issue? It's what God is, not what I'm not. Amen? And I'm thankful that He uses me and He chooses to use me. Last night we were sharing our testimonies. The guys were going around the table sharing their testimonies. I thought it was kind of appropriate uh, that I shared my testimony because I became a Christian uh, through the ministry of Jim Baker. That's It's true. You think I'm lying to you, okay? And he, it's my spiritual father. No, no. It's not true. I did become a Christian through the television ministry of Jim Baker and, and uh, received Christ. And God uh, has taken me and moved me on and, and really by His grace. Amen. We could all say that, couldn't we? I'm sure some of you came to Christ better ways than that. Probably everyone in this room. But it's still by His grace. It's still by His mercy. And again, you guys, the issue is not what I'm not, but what He is. You know, as we talked this morning, God is searching, uh, not for a group of people, not for a collective body of people, but the scripture says God searches for individuals. One. A man. A man. Jeremiah, 1 Samuel 13, verse 4. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. Jeremiah 4, 25. I looked and behold, there was no man. That's college girls think that or something. I don't know. Anyway. Some of your life verse, right? <laughs> Sad. Jeremiah 5. I had to say that because I'm walking around the campus yesterday and, and I thought it was some kind of assignment or something because every girl I saw was with a guy. Is that some sort of a practical assignment? Or is that... Okay. <laughs> Jeremiah 5 verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see if you can find a man that executes judgment and seeks truth. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, I searched for a man who should stand in the gap. The church, ladies and gentlemen, and the world is crying for that voice. They're crying for leadership. You know those kids that were up here? Almost all of them, without an exception, that grew up in the church or were Christians were lame in their spiritual walk. Almost every one of them. Almost every one of those kids I personally confronted and I said, I believe God has more for your life than just coming to church. And they responded to leadership. Why? Because of me? No, because I think if we do what God says, we'll bless it. The world is crying out for people to follow, to listen to. I talked to a young man, and I don't use this story for anything other than it's real life, it's what I deal with. I talked to a young man who's in our group who has a real burden to reach his friends. 
And one friend that he was praying for and really working hard and he came and he came once and he had been involved in the church but his church background was really lame. Uh, the young man just about 10 days ago took a gun, picked it up and went click, click, bang. There's a whole bunch of kids that are looking for leadership. They're listening for a voice. God is searching for a man, an individual that he can raise up and use to lead a nation, a group, a church, people. And I suppose that people that not only can give a message, but people that live a message is what God's really looking for. And I assume this morning that that's why you're here. I assume that you have come to the Master's College to be equipped and fitted and trained and prepared to be used of God to give impact all over the world. Sometimes I don't think we grasp the importance of what it is that we're doing. Sometimes I don't think we grasp the incredible amount of what we've been given. Do you guys even think about the amount of truth that you just get in one chapel? I was in Australia and New Zealand this summer. I went to cities where they don't get the truth you get in one chapel in a year. And may it never be said of us that we know more than we obey. Amen? I asked somebody the other day, I heard a tape message of a chapel, and I said, this was outstanding. He said, well, you know, sometimes people get so much of it, they just swallow it. I just pray, God, don't ever let us know more than we obey. But I assume you came here to become those examples, to become those leaders, individuals who will take God's truth and lead by example and pass it on to the next generation. You know, there's some people who believe that our generation is going to drop the ball. We don't know how to think. We... We've been trained by media, we, we're not disciplined, we're not diligent, and I, I, it scares me, I, I see those things in my own life, I don't want to be that way, I want to be a man that has the discipline of maybe the Puritans and people like that, but I look at this generation and some people think we're going to fold up. You know, if you look at the church, like a relay race, starting in the beginning, Jesus fires the gun, and out of the blocks comes the Apostle Paul, he's little but he's fast. Then he comes down the back and oh, they're throwing rocks at him. He's down, but oh, he's back up again. And he comes around and he hands off the baton to Martin Luther. Luther gets out quick. Oh, his robe's giving him a little hard time there. He picks his robe up. He's really moving now. And he comes around and he hands it off to John MacArthur. And John MacArthur's really making some progress. I don't say that facetiously at all. You see, I was in Australia. I talked to an aborigine who's right from the middle of Australia. He got a tape that John did on Timothy. Timothy, your teacher. Timothy, your soldier. Timothy, your athlete. Timothy, your farmer. And he preached the whole thing to me while I stood there with tears in his eyes. In the middle of nowhere. We don't even know the impact. We don't even know the impact. History will record great things. I hope you appreciate the things that you get. I hope you appreciate them. And he takes the baton and he's heading for the line to hand it off to this generation. This generation is a little bit confused. They're not sure who's at the line. There seems to be some confusion there. Who's at the line? Oh, there, oh look, there's somebody on the line. It's, it's Lumpy. Lumpy's on the line. Oh, Lumpy seems to be a little bit confused. He sets his donut down. John has a baton off to Lumpy. Lumpy, he's not too fast, but he, he seems like he's working hard. Oh, what, Lumpy, what, whoa. He, Lumpy's off the track. He, he's heading for the snack stand. Oh, Lumpy. I don't want to be remembered, you guys, as the generation who didn't carry the baton. 
I don't want to be remembered as the generation who because of ease and comfort of life, we no longer were an example to those who came after us. You see, I see these young people like these kids here, and they're looking for that example. There are people in your church, adults, families, who are looking for an example, a clarion voice to listen to, to follow. I'd like to think that we would run the race that's set before us, leaving an example to those who follow after us. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is an example worthy to be followed. Open your Bibles up to Second Chronicles chapter 29 we're going to have to hustle but that's okay I need to ask you a question before we start and it's a serious question what about your example? Could we follow you? Could we follow you? I mean, could, could, we, could we bring you up here and set you up here and say, here's your life. Let's follow you. You say, oh, no, no, you couldn't do that to me. You know, we have John for that. We're going to follow him. He's everything. And I, I'm just, I'm nothing. You know what? I wish that our generation would begin to feel the position, not the pressure, to begin to feel the position that God has placed you in as an example. That you would feel some of that position and it would cause you to walk out, your, live out your salvation with fear and trembling. You think about the things you do. You think about the life you lead. You think about the times you miss spending time in the world. You think about your prayer life. You'd feel the position of being an example in the history of the church to be used by God. But I need to ask you that question. Are you an example that could be followed? We're going to look this morning at Hezekiah. Now you need to know something about Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a little bit down the list. I believe he's the 12th king since the divided kingdom. You know that what happened. David came along, then Solomon. And right after Solomon, the kingdom divided. We have Judah, we have the northern territory, Israel. And the kingdom of Israel fell apart around 700 B.C., and Judah continued to go on and then was taken into captivity in about 580. But there's a line of kings that come along. And it's interesting because the succession from one to the next. We had a good king and a bad king and a good king. In fact, right after Solomon we had Rehoboam. He had about five good years. And then he became powerful and he fell. We had Abijah. He was pretty good. Same kind of problems. We had Asa. He was good, but he fell also at the end of his life. We had Jehoshaphat. He was good, but he was dumb. He got involved with, with the, the northern kingdom because they were going to attack and they ended up being routed. We have Joram. He was evil. He had an evil wife. Be careful, guys. I'm not saying anything. You just need to, if you're going to be in ministry, then the woman you marry is going to be the second most important choice you ever make. After Christ. And if you look at the line of kings, the line of leadership, there's a whole lot of folks who stumble because of the person they chose to live out their life with. And after Ahaziah, he, he reigned 22 years, he did evil. Then his mom came along and she reigned for a while and she killed everybody so she could have control for a bit, but not too long. Then Jehoah reigned for 40 years. He was 7 years old when he started. 7 years old. He did right, but he died a failure. 
Amaziah, 25 years old, when he started, and he, he followed God, but the scripture says not fully. He made things right between him and God, but not with the people. He didn't get things right with the people. Then there's Uzziah. He reigned 52 years. He started when he was 16 years old. He was basically a good king until he became what? Proud. And then God said, you're a leper. Then there was Jotham. He was good, but the people were corrupt. He didn't make things right with the people. Then there was Ahaz, 16 years, evil, maybe the most evil of all the kings. And he is directly preceding Hezekiah, just before Hezekiah. So the background we find Hezekiah in, at 25 years old, taking over his country, is he's been under an evil king for 16 years, a very evil king, maybe the most evil king. And Hezekiah is a young man with a lot of pressure and really poor examples to follow. And yet, I think as we look at his life, we find he is an example to be followed. Let's pick it up in chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. And then verse 3, I want to give you the first principle of an example that's worthy to be followed. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Two things there you might want to underline just to look. First year, first month. Scripture's trying to emphasize something there too. Scripture's trying to show us that at the beginning of his reign, the first year, the first month, he took care of something. He took care of the house of God. For 16 years, the house of God lay in disrepair. And he first things first took care. God's things first. He followed God's first. He could have done many things. You know, other kings, when they came in, these are some of the things they did. Some other kings, when they first started, they killed all their successors. Anybody that could get in the way, they killed them. That's the first thing they did. Other kings conserved their military power. They found out where they were, where they stood. Other kings built cities first things first. Not Hezekiah. He cared for the testimony of the Lord. He cared for the testimony of God. It's interesting because a lot of the kings didn't do that. They put their things first, but Hezekiah put God's things first. That's kind of a New Testament principle, isn't it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's kind of a New Testament example. Jesus, although He was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, becoming a bondservant. He put His things Behind him for us. God's things. He followed the will of the Father. And the leader that's to be followed has to be the person that the things of God come first. The things of God come first. Secondly, because we have to hurry through this. He followed God fully. Look what he does in verse 4. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the square in the east. And he said, listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs. Now it's interesting, again, he's not like other kings that just make things right between them and God. He calls the people out. He makes the house, the temple of God, right? And then he calls the people out and he says, Folks, you need to recognize your sin. And that's why I said he followed God fully because he was not afraid to call the people on the carpet for their sin. 
He was not afraid to bring the people together and say, folks, we have to clean this thing up. We need to make it right. We need to recognize the sin and we need to repent. And he says that in verse 10. He says, now it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his burning anger may turn away from us. He repented. He recognizes the sin. He follows God fully. Well, why do you say that? Because I think that sometimes we don't want to offend. Sometimes... Uh, we, we don't want to call people to the fullest level of commitment that we should. As I talk to different people, I wonder why it is that the world can, can have a concert at the forum and Bon Jovi can come in and, and have four nights and expect teenagers that I work with to come and spend 35 bucks and fill that place up every night and those high expectations are fulfilled every time. And they set a standard for them, but I'm unwilling to come back and to call kids to a New Testament style of Christianity. And I have to use dog and pony shows and dances and all kinds of other things to get kids to respond instead of just calling them to what Jesus Christ calls them to. That's what it means to follow God fully. That we call people to what God says. And Hezekiah did that. Some kings didn't want to offend, but, but he did. He wanted to do what's right. I think sometimes, folks, the reason we don't and the reason that kings don't is fear. Fear of man will always cause us not to follow God fully. Who do you fear? Who do you fear? What will people say? What if I do this? I don't think I really sit around and think of how many things I can say that will offend people and make people mad. I don't think I do that. I think what I really want to do and what we want to do as men and women of God is to say, what does God say? And let's just say it. And let the chips fall where they fall. But Hezekiah follows God fully. And if you look through the next three chapters, you see it over and over and over. Look at verse 20. Then King Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes. So now he's got the people together. Verse 27. Then King Hezekiah gave the order to, to offer the burnt offering. Verse 30. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises. Verse 31. Then Hezekiah answered and said. Verse 36. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel. Now he's called everybody together to come up and worship and make things right before God. Verse 20. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed all the people. And look at the end of that chapter. Verse chapter 31. Excuse me. Chapter 31, verse 20. As 31 just continues to give us the picture of Hezekiah making things right in his kingdom. Chapter 20. And thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right, and true. Before the Lord his God. And every work which he began in the service of the house of God. In the law and in commandment. Seeking his God. He did with all his heart. And he prospered. He followed God fully. Now things get interesting here. This is so cool. This is so neat what happens here because Hezekiah didn't know what was coming. All Hezekiah knew is that I need to follow God fully. I need to follow Him first. I'm going to make things right in my kingdom. He didn't know what was coming, but you know what was coming? The most awesome army in the known world. With their king, Sennacherib. That's a pretty styling name. Snack. And he had just finished conquering hundreds of cities. In fact, in one city, the people came against him. And so, in his own testimony, he said, So we bound the men and stuck them, impaled them on posts. And this, and this group, this army, is making its way down to Jerusalem. And as you pick it up in chapter 32, 
That's what we find. And after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Now when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come he intended to make, and that he intended to make war in Jerusalem, he decided that his officers and his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which were outside the city. And many helped him. So many people assembled and stopped all the springs. And they said, why should the kings of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and he rebuilt all the wall that had been broken down and he erected towers on it. And he appointed military officers and he basically got ready. But there's an interesting phrase there I want you to look at. If you don't get anything else out of what I have to say this morning, get this. Look at the first verse there. And after these acts of faithfulness, Hezekiah had done all the right things, and now he needed God to use him to bring about victory. And the third principle of an example to be followed is simply this. Faithfulness prepares the way for usefulness. Hezekiah had no idea of what was coming. All he knew is that I need to be right before God. I need to be a leader. I need to lead the people where I should lead. And he made the kingdom right. And now this incredible army of 185,000 comes down and surrounds Jerusalem. And faithfulness has been demonstrated in his life. And God's going to get ready to use him to do probably one of the mightiest military miracles in the Bible. You know why? Because Hezekiah doesn't even lift a finger and 185,000 men die. That's pretty awesome. But see, what built the way for that? His faithfulness. What's the New Testament principle of that? Faithful in little what? Faithful in much. I find lots of people who want to be faithful in much. Oh yeah, I want to speak, I want to do camps, I want to go and I want to... That's what I want to do. I don't find a whole lot of people who just want to pray. I find a lot of people who have their agendas. I've got school, I've got this, I've got my job, I've got this. I don't find a lot of people who are saying, I'm willing to do maybe a little bit worse in school and job because there are people who need me to minister to them. I find a lot of people who train for ministry that want to preach. I don't find a lot of people who want to pray. To be faithful in little. You guys, that's it. That's it. We don't need visions of grandeur and visions of great things. We just need visions of a faithful daily walk with God. Amen? That we would passionately pursue. Hezekiah had no idea that an army was coming. If he did, any pagan king would have said, Hey, 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 there's this big army coming. We better, uh, we better make things right with God. Yeah, great. Let's get the priests. Okay, priests, get back over here. All right, everybody worship. Okay, God, see, we're worshiping. Save us, God, save us. That's not what he did. He did it because it was right. He was faithful in little. And now God was going to use him to be faithful in much. Number four. Look at verse seven. Be strong and courageous, Hezekiah says. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the multitude which is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Now think about that, folks. You're in charge. Here's all the people. There's 185,000 people outside the city. And you're saying, he just, he just has an arm of flesh, but we have God. 
That would be a hard position to be in. That'd be a hard position to be in, like being a pastor trying to lead people to believe God and walk with God in the midst of a difficult world. Be like a missionary trying to translate and reach a people who are unreachable. But the next principle of an example that's worthy to be followed is that courage, courage is always the result of obedience. Courage is always the result of obedience. Hezekiah could stand up in front of these people and say, be courageous. We can trust God. Why? Because he had been obedient. He had been obedient. Look at the people's response. In verse 8, at the end of verse 8. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. He could have feared Sennacherib. Sennacherib was a vicious king. He was courageous. And the people followed him. You want people to follow you? Be courageous. You know what that's like? It's like when you're a leader who's courageous, it's like you're a warm fire. It's like you're a hot fire and people come around you to warm their hands. People come around you and you don't know my home situation, Walter. My dad just left and things are really bad. Help me. I'm not sure what I want to do with my life. I think God's calling me to ministry, but, but, but I'm, not, I'm not sure. What, can you tell me? It has nothing to do with us. It's simply a manifestation of courage that comes because we have been obedient. And that's exactly what's here. And the people followed him. You want people to follow you? Be courageous. You want to be courageous? Be obedient. Be obedient. The greatest strength in your life comes from the unseen life. You want power? Then have an unseen life that's powerful. You want courage and be obedient in the small things that nobody sees. You know what scares me? Look up. You know what scares me? That sometimes in an environment like this where the, where the Bible is held high and we have standards and everything, we all start fitting in and just kind of, you know, and as long as we appear to be okay, it's okay. But if we don't have a passion for God, that's okay because nobody knows because we look like we fit. No. We don't need more clones, you guys, that look good. We need passionate people who in the unseen of the areas of their life are obedient and therefore courageous. And therefore courageous. Or look at the battle in verse 10. Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Are you trusting that which is remaining in Jerusalem under siege? Is not Hezekiah misleading you to give yourselves over to die by hunger and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before one altar, and on it you shall burn incense. Do you not know that I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the lands were the gods of the nations of the lands able to deliver them from my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations which my fathers utterly destroyed who could deliver this people out of my hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now therefore do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you. And do not believe him for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less shall your God deliver you from my hand? And then to make a long story short... Hezekiah and Isaiah went before God and they said, God, they think you're like the gods that were made with hands of the other nations. But you're not. Show them. You know what happened? King James says, in the morning the men woke up and they were dead. Kind of an interesting thought. 185,000 of them were dead. You know why? 
Because a man who's an example that's worthy to be followed follows God first, follows Him fully, understands that faithfulness prepares the way to usefulness and that courage is a result of obedience and then lastly, understands that prayer is the key to victory. That prayer is the key to victory. What's the result they won? Hezekiah could have fought them on their terms and guess what? He didn't. He chose to fight on God's terms. You guys, we don't need to fight on the world's terms. We don't need to try to compete with the world and beat the world down at its game. We have a distinctive that the world could never have. Amen? We have power that the world could never duplicate. We don't have to fight on their terms. We can fight on God's terms. On our knees. Bringing down strength, strongholds by the power of Christ. If there was ever a time for prayer, it's now. If there's ever a need for prayer warriors, it's now. We talked about being an example this morning. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'll close with this story. Hundreds of years ago, in a small village, there was a sword craftsman. Hold still. Don't start putting yourself away. There was a sword craftsman. And he built the most exquisite swords in the world. Men would wait tens and twenty years to get one of those swords. Because he could only build two of them a month. He tempered the steel just right. He sharpened them just right. He etched the blades. Just They were perfectly balanced. Many times in battle, they would swing the sword down on top of the other sword and it would snap the blade of the other sword. And men would wait to get that awesome master craftsman sword. Well, the craftsman began to get to the end of his life and he knew he had to turn it over to his apprentice. And his apprentice could do and make the swords identically to the master. But the apprentice made its choice. If he made four swords a month instead of two, he would make more money and he'd cut down the time. And so he did. And people didn't notice. They were still the best swords. And then he passed it to his apprentice. And he thought he could make eight. People began to notice, but they were still good. And under his apprentice. And under his and his. And pretty soon there was no demand for the swords at all. They weren't distinctive. No one wanted them. No one waited for them. And one day, many years, the craftsman who was making those swords was working in the shop, not having much to do. There wasn't much demand for what he did. And he reached into a cabinet, and there was a long box in there, and he pulled it out and dusted it off, and he opened it up, and he reached in, and he pulled out the most beautiful sword he had ever seen. And he looked at that sword, and he looked down at the sword he had just made, and he began to weep. Because he recognized that that was the master's sword. And he looked at what he had made and began to weep. And he recognized the difference between what he had made and his original example. What's the point? More than anything else, you guys, I would love it to be said of our generation that we stood up that if this, this is the generation that seeks Christ come back, that they would say we were an example to be followed. That we were not a copy of a copy of a copy that was no longer powerful. But that we, to the best of our abilities, resembled the master craftsman, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.